The first lesson comes to us from Genesis 3, 8 through 15. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as they were walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Would you sing with us the song um, of the Father's love begotten? Psalter 342, verses 1 and 2. The second reading. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, 
I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. The third lesson from Isaiah 11, 1 through 9. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight, his delight, shall, he, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall lay down with the lamb, the leopard shall lay down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Um, please open your Psalter to um, number 351, Lo, how a rose air blooming, and please may stay seated.
Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should take place of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their town to be registered. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there was the shepherd, and there were the shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord." This will be the sign unto you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor, favor rests. When the angel had left, angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing has, that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this, about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all, thing, all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Please stand and sing Angels We Have Heard on High, page 347.
You may be seated. The fifth lesson comes to us through John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God the, it is God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. anyone wants a copy of this, Sylvia will be passing them out. <clears throat> Dear friends of Jesus Christ, those who wait in hope for his coming, it's a little bit strange to end our readings with words that are clearly intended to be a beginning. This selection that we usually call the prologue to John's gospel is the beginning. And yet that strangeness to end with the beginning seems fitting as we hover between the seasons of Advent and Nativity, or what we usually call Christmas. This gospel reading we just heard makes two astonishing positive statements. First, it declares in the very opening sentence that there is more to God's being, to God's nature, than we can possibly imagine. There is an other who was with God in the beginning, an other through whom, in fact, all things were made. There are hints of this in the Old Testament, but still this would have been a shock to any Jewish reader who first read John's gospel. And then at the climax of the prologue, the high point in verse 14, there comes an even more stunning declaration. The word who was with God in the beginning, became flesh and lived for a while among us. 
the one who made all creatures, great and small, from the smallest grain of sand and the merest mouse to the mightiest mountains, the sea, the stars became perhaps the most helpless of all living creatures, a baby born of flesh and blood. That would have been a shock to any reader of this gospel. In fact, it still really is a shock unless you're not really paying attention, unless you're kind of numb to these things that are all around us in the words we hear today and in the songs we sing. Between these two simple statements, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. Between these two statements lie the deepest paradox and the darkest of all mysteries. God became human. The Holy Son of God came into the world to save sinners, and he took our sins on himself. He died, the immortal God, to save us, and rose again to give us and share with us eternal life. That's breathtaking. Let's not be numb to that. But that deep paradox, maybe why this passage and this whole gospel contain so many so, so many contrasts and paradoxes and ironies and unexpected twists and turns. And I'd like to explore some of those little ironies, which are actually massive paradoxes in this passage. The two surprising positive statements that frame this passage frame within them a surprising number of negative statements. The words not and no. If you read it again, you'll see this, actually dominate this passage. But sometimes we learn more about a thing, about a truth, about a reality, by understanding what it is not than by understanding what it is. John offers us a simple yet profound via negativa, to use a philosopher's phrase. So let me give you a short tour of these paradoxes and contrasts and negative declarations in John chapter 1. The most fundamental contrast of all, I suppose, is between something and nothing, between existence and non-existence. Don't let that go right by you. All things exist through Him, John tells us. And apart from Him, not one thing came into being. That's in verse 2. So we owe, every living thing owes that to Jesus. Everything that exists owes that to Jesus. But I think the most defining contrast in this passage, in this gospel, is the contrast between light and darkness. A darkness has overshadowed the things that exist. Sin and death have entered the world. And if you don't feel that every day, you're just not paying attention. But there's hope. John tells us that light has come into the world, but the darkness has not overcome it. That's in verse 5. The Greek verb is katalambano. And it has a double meaning. It can mean to understand. In Greek, if you don't understand to this very day, you say, de katalavano. I don't understand. But it also means to overcome, to take something down. The darkness looms. The darkness even suffocates, but it does not overcome the light. It doesn't take down the light. 
the light prevails. That's what John's telling us. Many people have borne witness to that light, both before it dazzled in the darkness and then after it began to blaze. John the Baptist stands last in a long line of forerunners, and we heard some of those witnesses this morning. He himself was not the light, verse 8. He came only as a witness to the light. The other John, the evangelist, the one who wrote this gospel, was among the first who recognized and followed the light after it came. One of the first to be gathered into the church, this community of people, that's us, friends, who have edged out of the darkness and into God's light. Not fully, not finally, but the sense of direction is established. And both Johns are only witnesses to the light. They're not the light. Both John the Baptist and John the Evangelist are often portrayed in art with their index finger pointing to the one who is the light. It's significant that there are witnesses who follow as well as witnesses who came before. When the light came, not everyone acknowledged it, then or now. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not know him, verse 10. And yet some did. There's always that undercurrent of whisper in this gospel. John presses the irony of that almost into our human flesh. He came to that which was his own. He's talking about humanity now. But his own did not accept him, verse 11. And that's actually another lambano verb. In Greek, paralambano, if you translated that in Latin, it would be akipere, to accept. He came to his own creatures, the ones made in his own image, and they did not acknowledge him. Another darkening of the paradox. But John keeps pushing that paradox until he squeezes the light out of it. His own did not receive him, and yet to those who did receive him. That Greek verb is lambano, who believed in his name. He gave the power to become children of God. So now this paradox of the Creator... Entering the creation begins to transform the creatures to whom he came, upon whom his light has begun to shine. They become, we become children of God. No longer are these children merely children who spring from the sheer fertility of creation. They are not born of blood, verse 13. Nor are they children produced by any desire for pleasure or any mere urge towards reproduction. They are not born of the will of the flesh. Nor are they children begotten because of any person's desire to build a family or perpetuate a family name or a family legacy. They are not born of a husband's will or the will of man. No, they are born of God. They have an identity and a being that comes from outside this world, from the life-giving light that has now come into the world. John, the gospel writer, not the baptizer, bears witness to this light from his point of view, not looking forward to the one who will come, but looking back upon the one who has come. Here's his testimony. You heard it. Hear it again. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace 
and truth. <clears throat> but John isn't, of course, just looking backwards on what he has seen. He's also looking forward to what he hopes yet to see. You've probably heard this a few times already, but Advent really is the season the church lives in all the time. The end of Advent is not Christmas. The waiting doesn't end with us looking back on the first coming of Jesus, as important as the nativity of Christ was. We aren't there yet until we see Jesus, until he comes again. The last no in this passage is in the last verse we heard. No one has ever seen God. But that's not quite the whole story. No one has ever seen God. But it is God, the only Son, the one who is close to the Father's heart, who has made Him known. John knew this because he was an eyewitness to Jesus. And Jesus said in the same gospel, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. But John is writing these things for us, for people who, like us, have not seen the light. We haven't seen Jesus with our eyes. And even John, the one who did see Jesus, the one who said, what our, what our eyes have seen, what our hands have handled, he still lived in the hope of seeing him again. So yes, we see Jesus in the life he lived, in the things he taught, the things he did and said that are recorded for us in the Gospels, above all, in the sacrifice of his life for our salvation. But our salvation will not be complete until we see him again. So we wait for it. And while we wait, you know it as well as I do, we bear the pain of our sin and of the world's sin. We watch people we love die, like Isaac and Holland watched Holland's dad die yesterday, like many of us have said farewell to loved ones. We watch our hopes sometimes come crashing down. We see things go wrong. We look at the world and we say, how will this ever be right? Well, it won't until he comes. But until he comes, we bear these things in faith. And in hope. Before Jesus died, in his last will and testament, his last speech, he said this to his disciples I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. That's the point of this for Jesus. It's the whole point so that we may be with him where he is, so that we may see the glory that he had with the Father before the foundation of the world. That's what we're waiting for. It's not Christmas. It's not the new year. It's not some change of regime or change of circumstances. It's the return of Jesus and a new creation. And much, much later, in a letter that John, the gospel writer, wrote, First John, he said this, Dear friends, now... We are children of God. And what we will be has not, there's another not, has not yet been made known. But we know, we do know, that when He appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And then He says this. I'll leave you with this 
project for the rest of your life. Anyone who has this hope in themselves, this hope in him, purifies themselves. Purify themselves. I'm losing the grammar a little bit. But anyone who has this hope in Jesus purifies themselves because he is pure. So this is our life. This is our hope. This is our Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Would you stand and sing? Let all mortal flesh keep silence.